Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. I wanted to talk a little bit about Onyx to kick this off here and go back to something I talked about a few episodes ago with using the different colored waypoints that you can use to mark different spots and just something I've been using recently for scouting Idaho and can be used for really anywhere. But what I'm using with these color-coded waypoints is I'm looking at the map and using Onyx, I can see where all the campgrounds are and trailheads. I'm marking all the campgrounds in yellow waypoints as well as all of the trailheads in blue. And by doing that, it differentiates it from all my other waypoints. So when I'm looking at the big picture of the map, I can see where... The most common access points are going to be and you know hopefully be able to tell me where the people are going to be coming in from and i'm going to try to stay away from those locations so by using those different colored waypoints i'm able to see that it's just another step in helping organize you know all the the hard work that you're putting into preparing it so definitely utilize those features and if you want to check out the onyx hunt app you can either get the premium or elite membership for 20% off by using the code EMW at checkout. So check that out at onxmaps.com. The University of Elk Hunting, Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting course to date for beginners to experts and you know anybody in between. And I've had Corey on the podcast here I think three times now and I'm going to be having him on here, going to be recording with him, I think later this week, actually. So really pumped to get him back on, talk again one last time before elk season and September is coming quick. So definitely uh, be looking forward to that. And if you want to check out the online course, it's definitely not too late, you know, for to prepare for the elk hunt and think that really investing in yourself wouldn't be a bad idea. So if you want to use the code East Meets West, that'll save yourself $20 on that online course for a one-year membership. You can check that out at elk101.com and click on the University of Elk Hunting. Maven Optics has come out with the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. And what I want to talk about with Maven is that the two pieces of, of Maven optics that I'll be taking with me on my Idaho hunt is that's what's, you know, in the near future. I'll be carrying my B2 9x45 uh, binoculars. Those will be strapped around my neck at all times. And I'm running those in a marsupial gear bino pack. And I've been using uh, marsupial gear stuff for since... Uh, I guess 2016 is when I first bought them for my B2s and not affiliated with them whatsoever. Just think that it's a really cool product. So that's what I'm going to be using those in. And also I'm going to be taking Maven's new S2 spotter, a 12 to 27 power little mini spotter. And uh, this week I'm planning on getting out and, and using it to glass some clear cuts for whitetails, get some practice with it. 
and, uh, you know, really gauge the, the low light clarity and, you know, light emission there. So check those couple products out there. And if you want to go over to the website, mavenbuilt.com, use the code East meets West dash gift, get yourself a free gift with any full price optics order. And lastly, Heather's choice. I just got my order in from Heather and the team up out of Alaska. I got all my breakfast meals, uh, the dinners, snacks within their packaroons, and everything as I'm building out my my meal plan for the year. And they're it's great because they offer high calorie, high fat, high protein options to really help yourself recover and uh, be properly fueled in the backcountry. So if you want to get an order in and want to receive it before September, if you have a hunt planned, I'd recommend doing that sooner rather than later. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST at checkout to get yourself free shipping on any orders over $99. And that could be really helpful, especially because shipping from Alaska isn't cheap. So check that out at heatherschoice.com. So on today's podcast, I have John Mulligan and John and I are going to talk about a whole bunch of different things, but one specifically is antelope hunting. And the reason for me wanting to bring that up is because Montana's antelope season opens this Thursday, I think, and and it'll start opening, you know, throughout the West for archery antelope, and then get into you know rifle antelope a little bit later. But I haven't really done any research myself on antelope hunting and haven't talked about it on this podcast before. So there's some helpful information there. And John gives some good tips of using Onyx and using actually their Onyx maps is uh, chip card by being able to plug that into a GPS and how you can use that in your car GPS to uh, help while you're driving around glass and for some speed goats. So a lot of really good you know, information in this one with John. And I just hope that everyone's getting excited for the season coming. Again, I mentioned it, you know, last week I put out two episodes. I'm probably going to do that a few more times this month as I got a lot of really good stuff. A lot of it focused around elk hunting, but trying to get that out and, you know, it, so that everyone gets that information as you know as soon as possible and be looking for some updated blog posts. I've Clint Casper's writing a piece for me and a few other things. So a lot of content coming out before we, you know, head out on some of these adventure hunts. So let's, uh, let's get John here on the podcast and, uh, hope everyone listens and enjoys it. All right. We're live. Johnny Utah Mulligan. What's going on, brother? How are you, man? How you been? Doing doing well. Can't complain. Another beautiful day here in Pennsylvania. What's going on today? Well, it's uh, finally sunny in Iowa. Um, we've been much like the Midwest and, and out east and stuff northeast. It's just like been a monsoon every single day. It's just nonstop rain. But um, today was your typical balmy, you know, 85, uh, 1,020% humidity in Iowa. <laughs> yeah that's that's what we, i was joking about at work today i was like we either have like severe thunderstorms or extremely hot humid weather you know <laughs> yeah, what's the deal you know it's like come on can we just get something consistent and normal but 
No, I mean, I'll take this. We we need to dry out really bad. The fields, uh, I mean, I, you know, here I am complaining about, you know, food plots every day. But uh, these farmers that are making their living, you know, off their crops, these guys are in a world of hurt. Yeah, I, it was, I was just, um, as we're recording this, it's in the later part of June. And I was at the BHA muster in the mountains the other day. And one of the guys came from Michigan and drove over to Pennsylvania. And he said that like about 85% of farmers fields had still old, you know, corn stalks in it that weren't even <laughs> able to be planted, you know, cause everything was so wet and flooded, right. especially in oh. the b- bottoms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, um, a couple of days ago I stopped at the gas station and there was an old farmer and he was talking to me a little bit. He said that, you know, when it, when it gets dry, they're trying to get into their fields and get their crops put in. Um, but they have to kind of divide their time because also when it's dry, they need to cut hay. And he's like, we haven't, we haven't even, we haven't cut hay once yet this year, you know? So, um, it's, you know, they're trying to get twice the amount of work in that, you know, each day that they can and just long, long days and they're not getting enough dry days to do it. Like you said, I mean, there's still corn stalks in the field that should have already had beans planted at them. Yeah, no, that's that's for sure, and and like you said, it's for us. It's just it's easy to you know complain whether it's food plots or just because it's the way the weather is. But for those you know those families that depend on it, that's a little bit bigger deal. Sure. Yep. Yep. Got to keep it all in perspective, and yeah, it's it, it is kind of interesting to 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 make you know to kind of sit back and I'm like, dang it, man, I wish my plots were doing better this year. I'm like, well, yeah, but I could also not be feeding my family completely, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it, it is what it is and hopefully uh hopefully we get some drier temperatures and, you know, and every everybody gets back, you know, gets back on track. All right, John. So, before we get too far here, I kind of want to get into a little bit of your background. Tell me about yourself and you know how do you got to this point in your life um so i grew up in lexington kentucky kind of uh, right in the central part uh dead center kentucky go go wildcats big uh, big <laughs> basketball wildcat fan um i actually went to school and got a got a horticulture degree and thought that landscaping or golf course type stuff was going to be what you know what i was going to do forever um, son, son of a, of a plumber, but I knew plumbing was not what I wanted to do just cause my dad always told me, he always complained about it every day. So I'm like, well, this doesn't sound like a good career, you know, I don't <laughs> want to do that. Yeah. Uh, um, then it, it shortly, shortly after getting into landscaping, uh, which I had a landscape company that I ran, uh, for a lot of years, but, um, one of my neighbors in Lexington, he was a he was an undercover narcotics cop, and he just had the coolest stories. I mean, every day I'd come home and I'm like, dude, tell me tell me what you did today. And he's like, oh, we kicked in some doors and you know seized a couple of kilos of coke. And I'm like, that's so rad. And he's like, well, you never talk about your job. And I'm like, I planted a bunch of eastern white pines today. It was boring, you know. So <laughs> he just had cool stories, and and I thought I want to go do that, you know, and um. I applied for a couple of different police jobs in, in the state of Kentucky and where I ended up getting hired was in Northern Kentucky, just, just literally 10 miles shy, you know, Cincinnati. And so back in 2001, uh, started, started a career as a police officer and 
uh, I think it was maybe the second second year, um, a spot opened up with this. Uh, it was kind of a, a federally funded um, undercover narcotics unit, and we had a multi county jurisdiction, and and we did some work with the DEA and FBI and uh, across the river in Cincinnati. And I, I got picked to join that unit and it was kind of off to the races. And I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted to do, you know? So, um, I got to be, I got to be Sean Mullins for, uh, for, you know, a few years. And, um, that was my, that was my undercover name. Um, <laughs> and dude, I mean, just, just like you see it on TV, like it was, it, it, it I mean, it looked like was actually just like that, you know, just, um, running and gunning and kicking indoors and, and, and buying dope and selling dope. And they, you know, we did reversal cases and all that kind of stuff, but, um, I still had the landscape company on the side and man, I went, that's, hold on. That's two completely yeah. <laughs> separate. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you were to live two lives there, weren't you? Yeah. It was like cop John, <laughs> landscape John and, you know, <laughs> stuff is pretty funny, but, um, it, what really floored my next door neighbors when I came out of the unit and I went back to, um, being a street cop in uniform and, you know, in, in a marked car, um, my next door neighbor literally like almost crapped himself, you know, when he walked outside one day and he saw like I was clean shaven and short hair, high and tight. And he's looking at me and he's like, Sean, I'm like, no, it's actually, um, it's actually John. He's like, what the heck, dude? He's like, I used to call the call dispatch on you all the time and tell him my next door neighbor's a drug dealer. I know he is. And I'm like, I know. Dispatch would tell me every time you called on me. I, you know, appreciate that. But um, so that was pretty cool, you know, kind of keeping that that story going. But um, so I had I had the landscape company going on the side and um, you know, always kind of been an entrepreneur. Um whatever I was doing, I always had wanted to have my hands and my own fate, so to speak. You know, I knew that however many hours I put in is what I could get out of it. Right. And the more I worked, the more I got, so to speak. So, um, had my landscape company on the side and, and was driving race cars, uh, driving dirt late model stock cars, um, for a few years and, uh, was hunting all the same. Um, but was never like, so, I mean, I, I called myself a hunter and I, and I would hunt 15 days, 20 days a year, but that's it. Um, and then probably like in 2004, um, I really got immersed into, um, into hunting and it was something I looked forward to. It's just all I did all fall long. Um, and then like in 2000 six is when I picked up a bow for the first time. And then that totally changed everything. But I went to, I went to a deer and turkey show, um, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, at that time they called it the field and stream deer and turkey show. And I came across this booth and it was, there was a guy standing there named Todd Prignitz, uh, from white knuckle productions. And he was just starting this company called wicked tree gear. And he had a, he had a folding handsaw at the time. And I thought, man, that's, that's a really cool landscape saw. And he's like, no, it's a, it's a bow hunting tree stand, hanging tree stand trimming, you know? And I said, no, no, like this is, this is, this is a, this is a landscape saw, man. This is better than anything I've ever seen. So, um, very quickly within, within 24 hours, I was a dealer for, um, for not narcotics, 
uh, for, for wicked sauce. <laughs> and I, I was slinging saws all over the tri-state area, you know? And, and then within a month he, he's like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like you've sold more saws than Cabela's has, you know, this year. And I said, yeah, dude, I'm just selling them out of the back of my truck to landscapers that I know. And he's like, really? So that kind of started the conversations like, you know what? There's a lot of cross, uh, you know, there's two cross category type things we can do with wicked saw. So, um, I came to him and said, Hey, I got to have more skin in the game. And he's like, okay. Uh, and at this time, uh, Dan Johnson, uh, from nine finger Dan was actually involved, uh, with wicked as well. And I said, look, I, I, I need to have more skin in the game. And he said, okay, I'm going to make you like my national sales manager. So, we did that for a few more months, and then I came back to Todd again. And all the while, I was also doing the uh, White Knuckle Productions. I had started filming hunts and stuff for White Knuckle, and and I said, "Hey, I gotta have more skin in the game." And he's like, "What do you have in mind?" I said, "I, I want to buy part of the company." He's like, "Well, I don't want to. I don't want to sell you part of the company." I said, "Hey, I wouldn't want to either. No hard feelings. Best of luck to you. I'll keep doing White Knuckle if that's cool, um, but I'm, I'm out on the wicked side." And 24 hours later, he called me and said, okay, how much do you want to buy? Um, so I became a co-owner of Wicked Tree Gear um, back in 2014, I think it was. Um, and then 2016, I got a very strange phone call from Tecamani Holdings. They wanted to purchase Wicked. So Todd and I decided to sell Wicked Tree Gear to Tecamani Holdings under the agreement that we would go work for them for a period of three years. Um, that's when I moved to Iowa. I moved to Iowa to be closer to Wicked because we manufactured and or assembled and shipped out of out of Mount Pleasant, Iowa, and Southeast Iowa. So I moved moved to Iowa, left policing after 16 years, and just to focus on basically Wicked and White Knuckle. And once I got to Iowa, I kind of started. Um, I don't know, e- evolving a little bit as far as what I wanted to do in hunting. You know, I started enjoying the photo side and the, and the short story side of things. So, you know, I told Todd, Hey, I kind of want to explore some different avenues. And, and I think I'm going to step down from, from white knuckle and pursue my own thing. And, um, you know, they always talk about relationships that all relationships end badly, you know, Sometimes it's, they just end, but at the end of the day, sometimes, unfortunately they, they kind of end bad. And, and he and I, you know, our relationship kind of strained a little bit because of that. And, um, but we were able to kind of reconnect and thankfully we were able to reconnect right before, you know, right before his death. And, and that lifted a huge weight off my shoulders because at the end of the day, I mean, the dude, he really is the one that kind of got me into the hunting industry, so to speak. And, um, and he was a very, very close friend of mine for a lot of years and business partner, you know? Um, so that was, uh, that was a lot, but, um, I've since left Tecamani, um, after my three year agreement and now I'm hundred percent Johnny Utah creative and, you know, running, running my hunting show, uh, arrow wild TV and, um, just doing uh, photo content and marketing consulting and still doing some product design work for some other companies. Yeah. John, I, the, the cool thing about your story is, and that, that kind of resonates with me. I think it's awesome that no matter what, period of time it was in your life you might not have known exactly what you wanted to do but you knew if it wasn't something that was fulfilling or something that you really liked you changed it 
And, yeah. you know, and I, I think so many people get stuck in, you know, what's comfortable. And I'm sure that none of those things were extremely comfortable, you know, and you, you and I talk about this stuff offline as, as, you know, as I've met you over the last few years, you know, we become closer and talk a little bit back and forth mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's pretty inspiring to see, you know, someone doing that. Well, and it, you know, and don't get me wrong, like with, with three kids and a wife, um, changing careers um later in life so to speak um yeah i mean it's scary you know but that's been one of those things about me and a lot of it comes from that entrepreneur side um and i've always been a risk taker anyways um by nature so it's so different than police work you know police work is is safe right undercover work was very much risky. Um, but, and those are the things that I've, I always seem to be drawn to. And, um, I, I kind of, I got the nickname when I was a cop, the, a bunch of the old veterans, they started calling me cowboy. And, and I said, you know, I, at first I thought it was like derogatory and they said, no dude, you're just a cowboy. Like you'll run into a burning building. You'll, you'll run into a shots fired call. You're not waiting for backup. You're just go. Um, but there's always two sides of that. It was probably being stupid more than anything, but a lot of it was uh, the way I see it. The, the chief was paying me money hourly. So the more calls I could get to an hour, then I was a more cost effective employee. Um, so even working in the private sector or public sector, you know, I always, my brain always works on profit margin, being efficient, uh, minimizing, you know, inefficiencies. Um, it, it always works on that. And when it came time for raises or promotions or that kind of stuff, that was always my leg that I would stand on is I'd say, you know, here's my deal. I went on 200 calls, you know, in this one week period, whereas the other officers were only average 120 calls. So on a call per dollar kind of you know, or like a CPM that we use a lot of times, you know, in, in podcasting and, and photography and uh, social media stuff, you know, I would almost, I was, I, that's the way my brain still works. Um, so making changes in life is just, um, when I feel strong and feel passionate about something and, and feel drawn to something, um, I, I, I found my, I find myself going for it and taking a lot of risk and, and, extremely blessed that, you know, I've got a wife that's been like, all right, I'll put the seatbelt on. Let's buckle down for another wild ride, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, that's, that's a huge part of it. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people I've, I've talked to and, and a little bit from my own experience, seeing that when you don't when you have someone that doesn't really support what you're doing, that's not good. That's toxic to, to that, you know, I mean, it goes both ways for sure, but sure. Um, yep. I'm sure that helps a ton. Um, yeah. I mean, it doesn't help the risk standpoint, but it helps, <laughs> you know, having the, having the backing yeah. of, you know, her. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's been, it's been huge. And, um, now, it, it, you know, at the same time, I mean, when you go to your wife and you say, Hey, we're not going to get any more of these 2am phone calls to go buy heroin from some shady character in a dark alley. Um, 
it, it didn't take too much arm twisting for her to go along with the idea that I wasn't going to do that as a career or a job anymore. So, um, that helped, but you know, <laughs> leave, leaving white knuckle was, um, was risky and, and because I was having a lot of fun and, you know, at that time, white knuckle was, was doing very well, it was one of the first web shows that was out there. Uh, was one of the very few that was still successfully selling DVDs and that kind of stuff. But even involved in white knuckle, you know, I was the guy that was dealing directly with the sponsors. And again, that's that the business side of it. You know, I was dealing directly with the sponsors and saying, how can we better serve you? What is it that you need from us? And a lot of shows will just, yeah, we'll use your product. And because I'm super awesome, people are going to want to buy your product. No, that's not how it works. You know what I mean? So yeah. I would go to the companies and say, what are you lacking? Man, we could really use more photos for our own social media engagement or whether it be ads or brochures or catalogs. Gotcha. That's the service that we're going to provide for you. And back um, in 2015, I got a call from Sitka and they said, hey, uh, we're, we're starting this whitetail line, this whitetail pattern. And we're wanting to put together a group of guys. Um, and we're going to call you guys ambassadors. And I'm like, ambassadors? I'm like, I've, I've heard of pro staffs. I've heard of field staffs. I've never heard of ambassadors. Um, it was an extremely long, like three, four month long vetting process. And earlier we were talking about Stephen Drake and, and Stephen Drake, when he used to work for CCAT Creative, um, he was actually the guy that called that reached out to me first. And uh, that was when I first met Drake. And so went through that process and, and thankfully was picked to join that uh, the Sitka ambassador team and have been on it ever since. Like it's kind of cool be like a founding member of that deal and with a with a along with a great group of guys. And now there's some girls as well that they've added. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. And and that's that's opened up a lot of doors. It's introduced me to a lot of people. But um, have you ever been driving on the interstate and like you're in the left lane and you're you're kind of in a hurry. You don't want to be reckless, but you're always kind of looking ahead. And maybe I need to go ahead and change lanes to the right so I can get around this car and then I can go to the left and then I might go back to the right. That way I never have to take my foot off the gas, but I'm also being safe and keeping forward momentum. That's my analogy for describing how I've tried to look at the business side of what I'm doing is – I align myself with brands that I feel their marketing style and the message that they're sending aligns with my own personal beliefs and what it is that I'm doing. And it makes it more authentic that way. Um, and trying to see exactly what's going to happen, what the new trends are and, and that kind of stuff. And, and, and kind of staying ahead of the curve without having to stop and change who I am because I'll never do that. I'm not going to change who I am or I'm not going to uh, market myself in a way and be somebody I'm not. Um, but trying to always look ahead and see what's going on. And, and if there's any listeners that are, you know, in the industry or wanting to get involved in the industry, you know, that's one of the biggest tips I can get is, is pretend that you're on the interstate and always look ahead at where, you know, obviously you're driving in a direction that you want to go. And for me, it was photography and short films and um, 
for, you know, sending the right message the way I wanted to send it, whether it be through conservation efforts and things like that. So I know what direction I'm going. I'm not getting off that highway. I'm sticking to my roots and sticking to my guns, what I believe in. I've just changed lanes periodically and kept the forward momentum and kept myself on the same road that I've always been on. You know, recently I, I, I left lone wolf tree stands and, and have been doing work with XOP and, and lone wolf custom gear. And, and somebody sent me a message and they said, Oh man, you know, you were a lone wolf guy for like six years. And all of a sudden now you left and you went to XOP and lone wolf custom. I'm like, hold on a second. I've never left Andre DeQuisto. Mm-hmm. I've stayed, I've stayed true to that. You know what I mean? Andre was who started Lone Wolf and it was his patents and I've just stuck with Andre, you know? Yeah. So I, I haven't deviated and I, and I haven't sold out. I have been extremely loyal and I see the innovative side that they're doing with Lone Wolf custom. And so I'm just still driving down that same road. I just had to change lanes once or twice, you know? Yeah, John, I think you make some really good points. And for anyone listening that, you know, I, I, I see it more often now than ever as far as like people's motives or maybe not even their motives but their thought process on trying to you know get into the industry or work with certain companies is kind of ass backwards from the standpoint like i i had i'm not going to obviously mention any names but i had someone message me and say hey man how'd you get working with prime uh i'm right now on X company's staff, but I'm talking to this one. I want to see what Prime's got going on. I'm like red, red flag. Yeah, already. I was like, man. I tell, I I went into dad mode. Even though I'm not a dad, but I was just like, man. I was like, I, you know, I said I worked in an archery shop for three years. I could shoot whatever bow I wanted to. I shot Matthews for a bunch of years, and I picked up a Prime. I liked it. I shot it. I used it. And after using that and getting to know the people behind the company, as I got to know all the companies, Prime was a great fit for me and they made awesome bows. That's how we started working together. It had nothing to do with, I'm going to reach out and fill out an application for a staff that for a company that just so I can say I have an affiliation with somebody. Correct. You know, yep. and I think that's it's if any advice can go out to that, like there's there's nothing wrong with working with companies. That's great. That's awesome. And if you can do that, that's cool. But make sure it's the right reasonings behind it and that you have something to offer to them is the biggest thing. You know, just going out and saying, hey, I'd love to do this. I have X amount of followers or this or I could go down a rabbit hole and try not to. But uh, <laughs> just like I'm sitting there waiting. I'm going, oh, is he getting ready to crack this can of worms? <laughs> I don't know. No, I just I just want to like just basically saying that like it, it, that's not the, the main thing. And, you know, I've I've went through learning curves with it and figuring it out myself. I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it's something I've always been perfect with or had the right mindset on. But once you, you know, you got to realize that they're, if they want to use you for something or to help you out, it's got to be because they're getting a bigger benefit from it. Correct. You know, they have to have a bigger return on investment. And so, you know, you know, reaching out, like you were talking earlier, you know, what can I do for you? What, where are you lacking? Here are my skills that I developed over years of working at this. This is what I can offer for you, you know? And that's, that's just the, I mean, that wasn't 
something I was planning on, you know, really talking about here, but I think it's an important thing to kind of get out there and just well, so you don't set up the industry is so small and you don't want to set up a, a bad name for yourself. Correct. Yeah. And, 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 and that's super, super important. I mean, I, and you know, Todd, Todd was a huge coach for me in that, you know, he used to tell me, he's like, do you think the hunting industry is big? I'm like, it's huge. You know, like, Oh my God, it's so big. And then I got involved in it. And, and when I say got involved, um, I got in it on the manufacturing side. Mm -hmm. So interesting enough, like I was the guy that people were sending their media kits to. And I got to evaluate people. Um, I got to meet all the manufacturers as a manufacturer. So when I met them, I literally had a handout. Hey, nice to meet you. Not a handout with the palm facing up. Um, so that's, that was my first impression with a lot of people and people got to meet me from that. And that went a long way. Um, and then, like I said, getting to see other media kits that came in and people are like, basically I'm the shit and you should give me some free stuff. And I'm like, really? Like that's your pitch, you know? Um, (laughs) so it's kind of like going to the bar and seeing the single guy like repeatedly, like throw his a game you know, at, at some chick and you're like, Oh dude, stop. You know, it's not working. (laughs) You know? Um, so (laughs) I got to see a lot of that stuff. And again, that was kind of a, you know, getting to look in behind the curtain, you know, and, and see the show like, okay, that's not, that's not how I need to do this. Um, so yeah, I got to learn a lot on the business side, you know, from that. Um, and a lot of it was just gut feeling too. Like, I did not own a camera until 2015. And when I say I didn't own a camera, I did not own a camera. I mean, my parents had a Polaroid when I was growing up. I bought my first DSLR in 2015, uh, in the summer of 2015. Uh, The day that Sitka called and said, congrats, you're one of our ambassadors. I'm like, man, they do a lot of photography. I probably need to buy a photo and learn how to use it so I can try to step up my game to help that company in their marketing efforts. You know, not to make a name for myself, um, but I want to do a quality job for them uh, showing this new whitetail line, you know, once, you know, once we kick this thing off. So um, I literally went to Best Buy and I'm like, hey, dude, I need to make an investment. I cannot believe I'm getting ready to drop this kind of coin, but I bought a DSLR and a hundred percent self-taught. I mean, I, I went to a couple of photographers and maybe if I went to other people or asked the right people, maybe I would have gotten more assistance, but it's not in my nature. So I literally did a lot of YouTube tutorials, but mostly I turned the camera to manual mode and manual focus and never took it off for the first year. And it forced me to learn every in and out of that camera the hard way. Um, but kind of like that cowboy nickname moniker that I had when I was a cop, I'm like, I'm not going to ask somebody for help. I'm just going to figure it out on my own. And um, that's kind of the way I've always done it. Um, and it, it's worked. Sometimes I've, I've made a lot more mistakes than I've done good along the way. But uh, but it has it has paid dividends because at the same time, I don't owe a bunch of favors. Yeah, either. No, no, that that makes 
uh, that makes a ton of sense. And like that, that was kind of the same, same type of thing, but like with the podcast stuff that I was doing and don't, and don't get me wrong. You know, some people gave me some tips along the way and some help. And I really appreciated that, but I had no idea how to do anything with audio work or that. And even with a camera, like it was just all just picking up and learning. I'm definitely not an expert in any way, but I keep working towards being better at it. And and you know, for reasons similar, now I'm now with the podcast, are working with some other people, and 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 I want to make sure that I'm you know the best uh, you know customer of theirs, or however you want to put it, or a contractor to mm-hmm. you know for that reason, and that you know no one's ever unhappy with you know what I'm doing, and and also I just love learning new things and and getting to see how that works, and I, I guess if there's another point that from my personal journey, like kind of to share was, uh, it was, a, I think it was in 2015. I was just like starting with social media stuff, posting pictures. And I bought mm-hmm. a entry level DSLR that I still use to this day. as I'm, I was talking to uh, messaging you about, I'm looking upgrade, but, uh, I, I just started that. And a new TV show that came out, had reached out to to me uh through social media and was like hey would you like to film with us and stuff and i had a call with them and it just didn't feel right there were some things that are saying oh you you know you can't wear sicka you gotta take that and you gotta wear this camo company you can't do this you gotta do that and things didn't line up and i decided not to do it and went and worked as at an archery shop you know doing whatever I was asked there and, um, and kind of went through it that way. And cause it felt more like me and that was, you know, it's, it's one thing you should definitely take, you know, open doors when they're there, but they got to be the right, the, you know, somewhat right door too. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that, and that's one of those things, like I've always tried to ask myself, like, is this, if it takes a lot of effort, um, for me to change something, I have to decide, is it because I'm forcing myself to learn something new or am I changing me? And if it's making positive changes in life, then sure, by all means, uh, not everything in life is easy. Um, but kind of going back to the, to the highway analogy, I mean, as long as I'm sticking on that same road, um, and keep the vehicle pointed straight, then, then I know that I'm doing it all for the right reasons. And, and there's things that have come along that have changed my perspective, you know, the conservation side, you know, um, I, I, like a lot of people, when you first get into hunting, I'm not thinking anything about conservation, right? I mean, yeah, a lot of us, we got into hunting. I'm like, kill them all. You know, <laughs> I got a tag for it. Kill it's it. brown you is know? down. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I mean, coming from Kentucky, shoo, like there's boys back home still green scoring a doe. So like, <laughs> that's just the way it got, you know, that's just the way it went. And, um, but as you, as you get more involved and you want to learn more and, and, and things change, then I, my eyes got opened up to the conservation side. And then, um, you know, through mutual friends of ours, you know, Sam Soholt and different people, you know, you start thinking more about the public land side of things. And I'm like, Hey, I hunt some public lands. And, and I started thinking about things that I do. Like I've never been into the woods and gone hiking in public land without bringing out trash along the way that I see other people leave. And it's just little things like that. And I'm like, okay, you know, I am doing this for the right reasons. I don't always talk about it and I don't always post about it. Um, other than if I feel like, sending my message is like a reminder 
to other people, Hey, try to do this. You know what I mean? Like pick up some trash, you know, help teach some DNR classes, you know, whatever, kind of help out. But it's not a, it's not so much of a self-promotion and and I'll, and I'll be honest, there's, there's times that, you know, people are like, man, you should post about that. And I'm like, but I did it because I wanted to do it. I didn't do it because I wanted everybody to know that I did it. And people would be like, Oh, good job, dude. You know, I'm like, I just, I wanted to do it. Um, so when I first moved to Iowa, one of the first things I did is I volunteer. I reached out to local DNR and I said, Hey, I want to give a hand with the hunter safety classes. You know, I feel very strongly about hunter numbers dropping. And, and if we don't get our kids kind of off of iPads every once in a while and into the woods, then we lose a lot of that heritage and the tradition moving forward with hunting. And let's face it, licensed sales is what funds, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do anyway. So if we don't increase those numbers, we're going to start losing out and my kids aren't going to have stuff to hunt and, and hunting may change for them. So, um, they said, oh, okay, that's great. So I went and I took some photos, um, and then it took me about three weeks to convince myself to post some of those photos because I, I was that internal struggle of like, okay, I want people to be aware that I'm doing this cause I want other people to do it. But I don't want people to be aware of it and think that I'm posting these photos cause I'm like, Hey, look at me, you know, I'm awesome. I'm such a good dude. Cause I, you know, I volunteer my time. So it's all, you know, it's, it's kind of that, like you're, you're on that teeter totter and, you know, on that line all the time. And, uh, as to what's promotion and what's, um, and what's, you know, shameless plugs, I guess. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And, and I, I can't remember who said, it. I think it might've been Brian call one point was talking I don't know if it was to me directly or if I heard it somewhere. Sometimes things kind of, you know, mesh in my head. But uh, <laughs> he said something about, you know, when, you, when you're posting something to kind of think in your own head, is there, is there a meaning for it? Can it help somebody else? You know, I'll, and yeah, sometimes it might seem like it could be a promotion for yourself. But if it can somehow help someone else, then maybe that's meaningful enough to be able to do it. And yeah. I, I know at the beginning when I started posting stuff on social media and everything, I struggled with not posting much for similar reasons years a little bit. You know, some of it I was just embarrassed to, you know, because I'd get, you know, shit from my friends and stuff. Why? Oh, look at you posting pictures of yourself, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dang it. And then once, once I kind of got that out of my head as far as not worrying about that anymore, you know, just uh-huh. trying to, you know, make sure whatever you're, you're putting out there is and not only tasteful, but also, you know, some in some way, somehow helping someone, whether that's through, you know, education, inspiration, or whatever that might be. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, and that's a whole another conversation in itself is is the the content and stuff as hunters that we put out, you know, and I've always been the first to say I'll never cave to anti hunters, but I also don't want to give them any ammunition either. Yeah. So no more of this, like, you know, don't nobody needs to see like the super bloody dead animals or uh, the deer in the back of a pickup truck with the crushed up beer cans with the rope around the neck that you use to drag it up the mountain with, you know, come on, take the, take the rope off, you know, get rid of the beer cans. You know what I mean? Like show some honor to the animal and pay some respect kind of speak, you know, so to speak. And, and if anything else, pay some respect to just the hunting in the tradition, you know, um, I love seeing those old black and white photos of the bucks hanging, you know, and the dudes are out there with their flannel and, yeah. and whatnot. I love seeing those pictures, the old school style, but, um, yeah, I'm like, just, you know, clean it up a little bit, you know, and yeah, it is hunting is violent. And I, and I, and, and I, that's kind of the caveat as I'll always say, you know, hunting is a very violent sport. 
like you're sending a sharp object into the vitals of an animal to kill them. You know what I mean? Um, but when we're talking about the hunt and showing the photos of the hunt, like we don't have to be vampires. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, just, just do it cleanly, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree with that, man. And, and you're, your points on that are just like, I I've talked about it a lot on the podcast with other guests and everything too, but I don't think it can be stressed enough from that standpoint. You know, with the, if you look at the numbers that we're losing hunters and I had someone, uh, send me a message or comment on Instagram and say, hunter numbers in Colorado, I'm seeing more and more every single year. They're not going down. Well, maybe, right. you know, that's your little area that you might see. And, and in reality, it's still dropping. Like, <laughs> Yeah, there was, a, there was a thing that I read from uh, QDMA. Um, it's probably a year and a half old information, but I'm sure it's still very pertinent and, and pretty accurate. Ten years ago, the average hunter was 37 years old. That was a QDMA member. Um, today the average age of a QDMA member is 47. Wow. So showing so that it's not, it's zero. Yeah. Yeah. Zero new recruitment is basically what that's saying. You know, um, that's scary. You know, that's, that's not good. Now there is several new organizations and conservation groups that have come on the map. And hopefully they're going and getting more involved with like the BHAs and the 2% for conservations and stuff like that. But uh, QDMA and NWTF, those are two big ones that have been around a long time. So, um, it, you know, it, it is kind of scary in that aspect to think that we're not recruiting, you know, new new hunters. And um, just recently, like very, very recently, um, G5 Prime Quest, they they recently sent my two sons a couple of the new Quest youth bows. And I've been struggling with it because I'm like, I've got a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old boy. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world are these kids not deer killers? You know what I mean? Like, how can you live in my house (laughs) and not be a hunter, a bow hunter at that? And it's just something that they've never really taken an interest to. They've been on some tracks and they've gone out checking trail cameras and stuff. But I think they mostly just like to ride on the side by side. They've never really gotten into it. And I've never pushed it. I've never forced it on them. Um, And kind of almost a last ditch effort. I got the two bows in from Quest. We unboxed them. The joy on their faces was like so unbelievable. Uh, we immediately went and got them sighted in and they, they shot them the first day that we sighted in. And then we came back to the house. We shot the other day in between rainstorms and, you know, at 15 yards, only their second session, they're hitting a little Turkey target, a little Turkey Reinhardt target, you know, at 15 yards with their bows and, you know, and I'm like, this is awesome. And I'm like, is this fun? And they're like, this is so much freaking fun. We had no idea. And I'm like, Oh, thank you, Lord. You know yeah. what I, mean? <laughs> I was like, they love it. They genuinely love it. So I mean, it, it's fun for me to see how this is going to evolve. And, and I have to like take baby steps. Cause of course, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you've shot a boat twice. All right, it's time to go get camo. We're getting licensed this fall. We're going hunting. And, uh, just, you know, we'll take it baby steps, make sure that they enjoy, they enjoy shooting their bow. And then, um, if they express interest in wanting to go hunt, then, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But, um, it's exciting times, Bo. I tell you, very exciting times ahead. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I'm I'm excited for one day when I have kids to be able to to do that too. And I'm sure that can be nerve wracking because I, I again I have not experienced that, but in my mind I feel like I'd be the same way as you. With I'm not going to push them in any direction, you know. But uh, hopefully they, show it a positive. What if they kill light. a bigger buck than me? That's what I'm afraid of. Oh, that that could be a <laughs> that could be a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I mean, there's always that competitive side. I mean, yeah, uh, I I can already tell you, force like look like foreshadowing, looking into the future here. The day that I'm with my sons and they harvest their first animal, I'll be like a blubbering idiot. Like I'll be bawling. I guarantee it. You know? Yeah, it, and <laughs> I I can imagine. I mean, I remember uh, when I was 13 years old, I was out with my dad, and I killed my first buck at 12 as a spike. And at 13, I killed uh, a big eight point. It was like 21 inches wide. And at that, that time in yeah. Pennsylvania, that was like the yeah. biggest around. I, you know, I took second in the the big buck contest in the area and all this stuff. And everyone's like, you know, at, the, at that time, but um, actually my dad killed one bigger that year in archery. But up until that point, that would have been bigger than any of his deer, you know. And uh, yeah, I'm sure he, he was ex- so happy for me. But at the same time, it was probably like what the hell this little guy this guy comes in and doesn't know anything and he goes out and he's spoiled you know <laughs> yeah you little shit yeah exactly. what are you doing <laughs> showing me up yeah and it's hilarious. It was obviously all because of him but it was just it was funny the you know everyone's yeah. like oh you'll never i remember people telling me this they're like you better feel lucky because that's probably the biggest buck you'll ever kill in your life. You know, that whole thing. I'm like, what? Oh, of course. Watch maybe. Me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. This past fall, I was, uh, in, in Iowa, we have these Casey's general stores and they're literally like every second mile, you know? And I'm in, I'm in a Casey's getting gas. I go inside to get something to drink and, and there's a guy in there and he's like, Hey, come here. He's like, I want to show you something. I'm like, what? Um, but it's Iowa. So I'm thinking it can, you know, it's probably nothing too bad. I go out in the parking lot and they put down their tailgate and it's a, an eighth grader standing next to a 189 inch buck that they killed on public land. Holy <laughs> like, cow. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Just a gorgeous buck. And, 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 and I'll be honest, like my first thought that came into my head was, man, enjoy this junior. Like you may never see another buck that big, but I'm like, I don't want to say that. You know what I mean? I don't want to say it to the kid. And I just, I was like, dude, congratulations. That is awesome. Like that is a giant, giant warrior, you know? Um, and, and he told me all about the hunt and how the buck came in and, and that kind of stuff. So it was, it was super, super cool. But yeah, in the back of my head, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me kids in eighth grade like he just smoked a giant i mean an absolute giant of a buck um (laughs) but hey and at the same time i'm like yep they're out there you know yeah they're definitely out there no that's for sure man that's it's it's funny how that works and and uh it's it's cool to see it at the same time you know hopefully that kid stays with it and you know has it in gets a drive in them to want to do you know do more and for me at that time i i didn't you know i didn't know what the hell i had and until until later in life but uh, have you have you have you killed one bigger since then yeah i've actually okay, good. i've actually okay. killed 
probably about four or five bigger than that because well a lot of it has to do with the point i i believe the point restrictions and the way they've been managing the forest in pennsylvania we have bigger it deer seems now. like it's really been helping out the state a lot a ton like it's yeah. a ton for age class now i mean I, I truly believe you know pennsylvania has some some people may argue this but they have some of the best age class in certain areas not all areas are the same you know but it has some really good age class at least for where i live at and and they might not always have the the right food to become at, or genetics to be complete giants but some we are getting those type of bucks now and it's it's cool and the way that i've done a lot of research into penn state's uh deer studies and the way that they're managing the forests and stuff and it's it's really impressive you know there might a lot of people complain in Pennsylvania specifically in the northern part about there not being many deer anymore. It's tough to see deer, but it's all for a purpose of the way they manage the forest and everything else. There's more food for them now. The The lower mounted deer have, can I mean, they have as much browse as they could ever want, and it's creating bigger body sizes, uh, you know, then to bigger antlers and just older deer. And it's been, it's been really cool to see that. Well, and, and this is not a derogatory thing to say, but when you're, you're stereotypical weekend warriors and PA, you guys are down a day, right? Because there's still no Sunday hunting. Yep. That's exactly right. So your stereotypical weekend warrior is hunting 50% of the time already and then you throw in some antler restrictions like that makes perfect sense i could i can definitely see the age class uh grow from there yeah i mean it's you can't go by the mentality it's brown it's down anymore you know before if it was when doe season overlapped with buck season and with a gun it was like it didn't matter it saw brown it was it was going down literally it didn't matter what was on their head you didn't have to look yeah yeah and you know and and during shotgun season around here, you still encounter some of that. Um, you know, I talked to some shotgun guys uh, this past season. I saw a big group out somewhere, and I'm not nosy. I just genuinely like to hear hunting stories, you know. So I see this big group, and they're about a half mile to a mile from one of my leases. And and I'm like, hey, what's going on, guys? You know, how, you know, what are you seeing out there? Because in Iowa, uh, bow hunting, if you're bow only and all your licenses are, are bow, you actually can't hunt during our shotgun season. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so you're pretty much on the sidelines. Um, now, you can do a bow tag and a shotgun tag, but if you, if all of your tags are bow, then you can't do shotgun. So, um, and, and that's the case, you know, for me, I'm, you know, hundred percent bow, but, um, so I see this group of guys and I'm like, Hey, well, you know, what are we seeing out there guys? You know, you're my eyes and ears. Cause you know, I'm, I'm not out there. And these guys are like, yeah, we took a few shots at a few and, you know, saw them running, you know, we flushed them out and they were running across the field. I'm like, yeah, we doze box. What? And don't know. I mean, it was, it was kind of a blur, but we, we threw some lead at them <laughs> and you're just kind of like, uh, you know what I mean? You're like, okay, that's, that's cool. Sweet, you know, <laughs> sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, did you hit them? I don't know. Awesome. But we kept shooting. 
So, you know, you're kind of like, you know, and I'm not saying I haven't wounded a deer before, you know, I have, uh, with my bow, but, uh, so I'm definitely not knocking, you know, the shotgun hunting. Um, but I am, I am kind of knocking that style of hunting, you know? Yeah. Just throw some lead at it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, I think that's, like I said, I think that's really helped Pennsylvania out a lot. And it's still really not on the, the radar of a lot of people. And, and there's not, I mean, if you look at probably the, the bucks per square mile for other, like mature bucks per square mile to other areas, it's probably not there. Um, and, you know, you could get a six and a half year old deer that scores 120 inches. You know, that's, uh-huh. it's, that's, it is what it is. But um, I, I enjoy hunting Pennsylvania. I like it. And, and uh, I did put in for an Iowa point this year. I finally remembered. I actually, because usually I missed the deadline for three years in a row. And, and yeah. fi- actually, I was supposed to miss it this time. I was at Total Archery Challenge, and my buddy who hunts Iowa all the time, because he goes on years, he'll just go and do the muzzleloader hunt and sure. late yep. season. And, and uh, he's like Johnny Stewart. I've had him on the podcast before. And he's like, Bo, did you put a, get your Iowa point? I'm like, no, shit. And he's like, get on your phone right now and buy it. So I did it and I, I got it and I'm like, all right, now we're good. I'm, I just got to remember to do it next year. Put it on a calendar. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, um, there was one year when I was a Kentucky resident that I forgot to put in for my point. Um, cause it's kind of a short window. I think, I mean, I think it's like two weeks or maybe, maybe it's a month, but I want to say it's under a month that you even have that window to put in for a point. And, um, I, I did the same thing. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'll put in for it this week. And then I forgot. And then the next week I get online and I'm like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. It's closed. Like I can't put in for a point. I'm like, ah, oh, this is, this is crap. But, um, yeah. the year I moved here, I would have drawn anyways. Um, so when I moved here, I lost my $200 that I had basically, you know, in non-resident points. <laughs> and so when I convert from a non-resident to a resident, you just lose that money. Like that's gone. Like, I'm like, damn, I can't like gift my points to somebody or something, you know, can yeah. I get a refund? Um, and so of course, you know, my buddies back home are like, really, you're, you're bitching about it. Yeah. Now you get, now you get three buck tags a year, uh, because you're a landowner. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess it could be worse. Oh man, that yeah, yeah. I guess that's a good way of looking at it from the outside. Yeah, you know. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's so funny. could be, could be, definitely could be worse. But you know, Iowa's a cool state. Um, the The public land is phenomenal. Um, I've been running trail cameras in the same kind of an area um, on public for three years now, and I actually got a picture of my first human this past fall. He was out squirrel hunting. Um, but my first one, one human in three years. So it's, uh, that's been pretty cool. And, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of terrain. It's a lot to learn. It's big, it's dense, it's thick, you know, um, it's, it's kind of hard to figure out. There's people that, that have done a great job and they've nailed it. You know, um, there's parts of uh, our public land that I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to figure out. And there's a lot that I've never even put eyeballs on, but uh, I was a cool state. And when I, you know, when I first moved here, the big draw for me was chasing, chasing an age class of deer that I probably was not able to get on back home. And I'm not saying that there's not, you know, and as soon as I say that people are like, Oh, bull crap, there's six and seven year olds in Kentucky. Yeah, there is. Um, not as many. And, uh, you know, you can find them. 
um, I knew with my work schedule and, and stuff that I had going on and the leases that I had available or that I could afford uh, in my area that it was very, very tough, you know, to get on, to get on some older mature deer and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I was always had that, uh, always had that going for it, you know, just big, giant, mature deer. And, and that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to try my hand at. So, you know, moving here was, um, was, was a lot of fun, but it was also kind of like starting all over again, everything, you know, about chasing deer. Sure. They're whitetails, but they're very different, you know, um, Kentucky, we had a lot of ag fields and there wasn't a lot of corn and beans in my area. And here there's a lot of ag, there's a lot of corn, there's a lot of beans and there's a lot of fingers. And we didn't do a lot of finger hunting, you know, back in, back in Kentucky, we were, you know, deep in the timber and, um, going for more of the acorn, you know, style bucks. But, um, so it, there's been, there's been a little bit of a learning curve, um, it, but it, you know, that's the fun part, right? Trying to figure them out. Yeah. I mean, that's like a, that's a whole new, you know, adventure in itself is going to these new places that are completely, you know, different to you. And, and I can relate when I went to, Ohio, started hunting Ohio for the first time. And, uh-huh. uh, what I learned there was in some of the areas I was hunting was it was similar, like as far as big woods type style, but there was definitely more mature deer there, which was fun. And, uh, and I'd say a little bit less hunting pressure at times, depending on what week you went, a lot of out of staters came in, you know, the first week of November for the rut, but that, that was a big difference. And I started hunting. I had a small lease in Ohio for a while that I got lucky enough to, to pick up. And that lease was, um, it was all farm country and it was only 52 acres or something like that. And that was so different to me because I had never really hunted ag before and, sure. and just yep. trying to figure that out and everything has its own differences and challenges and at the end of the day they are deer though so you kind of try not to, i try not to overthink it too much and try to fig- just say all right deer need this this and that and just figure out what you have in that spot to that correlates with what they need yep yep and you know when i first moved here a lot of the locals were like yeah we'll see how um we'll see how you transition in the switch. And I'm like the switch. I'm like, what are they talking about the switch? And that was when the crops come out and how the deer totally flip flop and they do something totally different, you know, than what they were doing before. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, just when I thought I had these things pegged, now they've completely changed their, their territories and their, their roaming areas. And, home ranges and travel ranges. And then you get into the rut and then they're moving even more again. And, um, it's, it's been fun. I mean, it's, um, you know, like, like you said, they're whitetails, they got a bed somewhere, they got to eat somewhere, they got to poop somewhere. You know what I mean? Like they're still going to do what they're going to do. Um, but you know, I've always said it takes a couple of years to learn a property. And every year that I've been here, I've hunted new properties. Um, and this past fall, I finally got to hunt a property back to back years. Um, you know, and was able to capitalize I want to say relatively easy, uh, with, you know, I didn't have as many days in the, in the timber as I've had in years past and was able to, to lock in on one of the bucks that was actually a targeted buck and, and it all worked out. Now I could go two, three years and be like a dog chasing my tail. You know, you never know, but, uh, just, and that's the other thing about whitetails. Once you think you've got them figured out, then, you know, prepare for a curveball. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, whitetails is not, you know, not the only thing that I like to chase. I love, I love chasing turkeys with a bow and, and I've had a chance to, you know, go out West and, and chase some antelope as well. So, um, you know, I, I, I like the challenges of all of them. And I think different animals also, even though it's a different animal and sometimes a different style, there's always something that you can pull from those other styles or different animals that you can, you know, cross over into another species as well. Yeah. I mean, that that's such a huge point what you just said there. I mean, that's what I've kind of learned as I start hunting different states and different species and everything else is, yes, it's not going to be the same, but you can definitely pull something from what you've learned there and even different areas. Like if I'm hunting whitetails in the swamps versus in the mountains or in farm country, there's something you can learn and, you know, pull across that might help you in one of the other avenues. And I I think that's, that's huge. When, when you said that you went out to hunt antelope, I'm sure that was quite a bit different than, you know, your typical hunting whitetails in the the Midwest. (laughs) Well, I had seen people go out west and chase antelope and and the animal itself has always been just a cool animal. They're they're beautiful animals, you know what I mean? And um and I thought, man, I want to try that, you know, and, and everybody talked about how good the meat was too. So I'm like, heck yeah, let's I, I wanna I wanna go for it. Um and the first year I went out there, I remember at the end of the first day, I'm like, this is this is dumb. You know what I mean? Like not dumb that I wasn't having a good time. More like I I would have better luck trying to get the ring on the greased bottle at like the traveling gypsy circus. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like this is this is ignorant. Like this is absolutely a joke. I have no idea what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Um, but it was like every time I saw uh, a goat, I made a play at it. You know. And then I talked to a good friend of mine, uh, Lyle Hebel. Um, who used to be with massive and he works for stone glacier and Lyle is like the the dude's a, he's an archery antelope whisperer, you know? And I I went to Lyle and I said, okay, first year didn't go so well. I'm going to try it again next year for redemption. What am I doing wrong? And he's like, dude, just be, be methodical in your stocks. Like if it's a low percentage stock, don't, don't take the chance. Just, you know, you're better off making three to four good stocks a day than to try to make crazy things happen and go for 20, 30 stocks a day. You know what I mean? Just be strategic. If there's a place that you, you've got some coolies or you've got some terrain features that you can sneak up on to close the distance and get yourself within approximate range, whether it be, 50 to 90 yards or something like that. He's like, then do that. You know, don't, don't try. Okay. If I belly crawl for the next four and a half miles, I think I can sneak up on them. You know, he's like, cause chances are they're going to be gone. This is an animal that moves 55 miles an hour. Right. So they decide they want to run for one minute. They're a mile away from you. Right. So <laughs> I'm like, good point. So the second year I went out there, um, I was very, very methodical. Um, I did over 3000 miles, uh, in one, in five days on my truck. Um, but just did a lot more driving, um, looking at all the different pieces of public land and, and really studying the terrain features. Okay. Can I stalk this animal? Can I get in close enough? 
And is the juice worth the squeeze on this one, you know? And so we spent a lot more time glassing and didn't do as many stocks. Now we still had a blast cause you know, we went on four or five stocks every day. Um, and finally, uh, day, well, day three, I spot this, I spot this goat and it's kind of off the beaten path, but, um, I don't use Onyx maps a lot, but if you're driving spot and stock, archery or rifle hunting antelope uh, one of the coolest things to do with the onyx uh, little mini sd cards is to get like one of the old school i call them like um pawn shop uh, gps units remember the old school you can mount on the dash yeah uh, suction cup take that mini sd card plug it into a garmin that has the that'll accept a mini sd and have that thing on your dash so you're not looking at your phone because a lot of time where, where you're at you're not going to have cell service and that way you don't have to cache a bunch of maps ahead of time. Cause when you're chasing antelopes, you have no idea where you're going to be. You're just driving roads. So what it allows you to do is you're looking out your windshield, you're driving and you can see like, okay, we're getting ready to come up on a public land piece. Let's, let's get the binos ready. Um, it's such, it, it's like the coolest feature about Onyx mini SD card that they don't even advertise. And I have no idea why they don't advertise. If anybody from Onyx is listening, like why don't why don't know why you guys don't promote this? But it's huge. Um, so I had my state of Montana little mini SD card, plugged it into the GPS, and you're just driving around. And as you're coming, you know, you're like, oh, in about another mile, we got a big chunk of state land or a big chunk of BLM or whatever. And you get up on it, and then you know you can see right on the GPS unit whether it's an accessible piece or not if it if it you know touches the road. Um, on a flat surface and not like a corner. Cause if it's a corner, you can't access it, you know? So as long as it's a, it, it butts up to the road, then, you know, you can just park right on the side of the road and just bam, go, you know what I mean? And, uh, and walk right in. So that was a huge, huge advantage. Um, probably my, my, my antelope pro tip of the, of the year is that tip right there actually. And so we spotted this goat, um, crossing over from a piece of public onto a piece of state. And then right next to that was a privately owned ranch that was in, was in the BLM as well. And so this goat is just literally, he's in, he he's in, he's for the taking, you know what I mean? Um, and this lady that lived at this ranch, she finally like stopped and she's like, can I help you? I'm like, we're not casing your joint. I promise. Uh, we're watching these antelope. So she's all about it. She goes, just pull in my park in my driveway. I don't care, you know, do whatever you want to do. Um, so that helped out a ton, but yeah, finally day five, I was, had almost all but given up, was on my way, going to head out and head back to Iowa and a 72 yard shot. And I went home with a Boone and Crockett antelope. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny cause I, I got home. I had been home for about five days and uh, a good friend of mine, Jeremy Myers, he's uh, he lives over in West Virginia. It's probably not too terribly far from you, but um, Jeremy was like, "Hey, dude, did you score that goat?" And I'm like, "No, I didn't score that goat." And he's like, "Why not?" And I'm like, "Hey, I got a lot of meat out of it, and I got a public land archery hunt in first goat. I, my last thing was like scoring the goat, you know, necessarily." And um, he's like, "Yeah, you might want to score that thing." And I'm like, "I, you know, okay." 
eventually. I, I'm in the process of editing photos and getting footage sent off to the producer and stuff like that. And so finally he calls me like on like day eight that I've been home and he's like, Hey, did you score that goat? And I'm like, Jesus, dude, I was like, you're <laughs> wearing me out with this. It's like, you're more care about the score than I do. And I said, so, okay, I'm going to score it. What do I get an inside spread credit? And, uh, I'm like, how do I do that? You know, like up to four times, he's only got two points basically on each side. And he's like, no, you idiot. You know, like inside spread is not a scorable thing on a goat. You know, he's like, it's all just the total <laughs> horn length and you got the cutter length and you got your mass measurements. He's like, it's super simple. So I ended up scoring him up and, and he made Boone and Crockett by, by five eighths of an inch. Um, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's cool. Right. Like that's good. You know? Uh, so that was, that was literally, that was like the, the cherry on top that wasn't even needed to be there. You know what I mean? It was like an extra cherry on top, you yep. know, uh, for that hunt, but super fun, had a blast. I, I want to go out and do it again. Um, but you know, it was one of those bucket list hunts that I wanted to do and, uh, extremely challenging. You know, we went in early September, uh, the wildfires were going on and this was a fall of 17. Um, so all those wildfires were going on and, and I wear contacts, uh, cause I'm just too tight to go do LASIK, I guess, or that, and probably just too poor. But, um, <laughs> the, the, like the wildfires, man, my eyes were completely bloodshot. They were burning, you know, from all that smoke. And it was like getting trapped, you know, in there with my contacts and, um, the last day the winds finally shifted out of the West and they came out of like the South or the East and it was like crystal clear skies and it was awesome. And it was probably like some symbolism or it was like a message. And finally somebody said, okay, this dude's put in the time he's been out here between two seasons. He's chased these things like nine, 10 days. Now we're going to throw him a bone here, you know? Yeah, no, it, that's that's funny. I hope that help that happens to me this year for elk. You know, I, I hope the winds just change and and <laughs> you know they just it, everything works out. But with um when so when you put the stock you know on this goat, what what are you doing as far as like how are you using the terrain or really kind of is it a lack of terrain or how how are you yeah. doing that? <laughs> yeah, where where I was um. It's, um, in the area, it's around Broadus, um, Montana. So it was in that Southeast corner, not far from Wyoming. And there's a lot of that area that's just very sagey and there's not a lot of terrain features to hide in. Um, the ditch is your, is your, is your friend. Um, a lot of guys that chase archery antelope, they refer to like ditch dumping and ditch diving. And, you know, you're in a vehicle and you just kind of, you know, driving down the road and the guy in the passenger seat just bails out. And whether, you know, you do your best Steven Seagal, Chuck Norris barrel roll or whatever, but um, you you dive out of the Joker and um, get into a ditch. Sometimes that's the lowest terrain feature um, to hide in. Something also noticed about antelope is uh, the closer they get to the road, the more observant they are to vehicles. Um they will, they really watch vehicles and we kind of use that to our advantage. Like I got into the ditch and the vehicle kept going and the goat like actually watched the vehicle like drive away. And you know, here's a, this is another like 
similarity to whitetail hunting. People have used this tactic for years. I'm going to get my buddy to drive me in in the truck or the quad and drop me off and then keep on cruising. So the buck thinks that that, that ve- the, the humans left. I can hear the vehicle leaving. Everything's cool, you know. Um, so we kind of used almost a whitetail, old school whitetail tactic um, when you don't have a lot of terrain features to slip in you know, on whitetails, a lot of, you know, open field hunters, you know, will do this a lot. So we, you know, we did that tactic and, um, basically the vehicle kept going. I was able to get into this ditch, uh, that was, that was the, you know, on public and, and just lay low, wait a few minutes, let the buck kind of calm back down a little bit. And then, uh, I was kind of able to raise up a little bit and get a range and set my pin. And, uh, and it was like, okay, here goes nothing. Was that, did you have to stalk him very far or was he not too far off the road? No, no. I mean, basically where I, I got into that ditch location and, uh, was able to raise up and the truck moved out of the way and I was there and I was able to get a shot off and, and kind of, and really it wasn't the perfect, perfect shot. It was more of just kind of a center punch shot. Um, and it, but it put a hole in him, uh, got him, you know, got him leaking on both sides as they say. Um, he bolted for about 30, 40 yards and then he bedded down. Um, uh, but he still had his head up alert and I'm like, Oh, Oh no. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, my first thought was, okay, is the animal suffering? Um, I got to try to put another stalk on him, you know, immediately. So, um, put another stalk on him and basically I had, I had an arrow knocked, and I had my binos, I don't have a monocular, so I had my binos just turned to where I'm looking through my dominant eye and I'm kind of watching him with my right eye. And I'm literally um, doing that like bent over, half crawl, half walk. Um, and I approached him from behind. And if I saw him start to look to his left, then I would kind of pan to my right. If he started to look to his right, I would pan to my left. And I just kept creeping and creeping and creeping. Um did he know I was approaching? Probably. <laughs> Here I was in my head thinking I was like a ninja. Um, but <laughs> I think he was injured enough that he wasn't getting back up again to take off. But again, I, you know, if I could get in close enough to make another shot, that's what I wanted to do. So I was able to get into about uh, right at 20 yards and put another arrow in him. Oh, nice. That's that's a really cool. <laughs> see, I, I had never. I've never really even talked to anybody about antelope hunting before. My brother drew a rifle tag this year in Wyoming, and and I, and people have told me about how fun it is, and it's just like a completely different than anything else. And and I think that'd be cool to to get to do that. And and the, you know, you're talking about like the the truck rolling type thing. That was similar up in uh, Alberta when I hunted with Jim Hole this past year in the bow zone. Yep. We had a the side-by-side would drop you off and it would still roll. Like you had to get out and grab your stuff and it never really stopped. And you had to stand there basically and wait until you couldn't hear it anymore so that the deer wouldn't correlate the side-by-side with, you know, with dropping somebody off so that it wasn't a bad thing. They just, Oh, that always does its laps, you know? And, uh, so that's a similar, you know, type tactic that you use there with the antelope. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and what's funny about uh, whenever you were up there with Jim Hole, you know, I was supposed to be on that hunt with you. Um, and 
it just so happened that my my daughter actually had a had a college uh, meeting, and thankfully it all worked out because the college that she went to go visit um, is the college that she ended up getting a full academic ride from, and that's where she's attending this fall. So. The, you know, there was the, a silver lining for, you know, me missing, you know, missing out on that hunt with you guys. Um, but on November 8th, while you were there is the date that I shot my Iowa buck here. <laughs> so it was kind of like, shoo, you know, I, I missed, I missed out on a, on an epic adventure that would have been, would have been a blast. And I hope to someday get another opportunity to go on. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, it wasn't so bad. My daughter got a full academic ride and, and I got to shoot an Iowa buck. So yeah, <laughs> complain too much. I was just going to say, I, I think, uh, I think that all worked out good. That would have been, that would have been super fun to get to get to hunt with you up there. And I'm sure we'll, yeah. we'll get a chance to hunt together one of these oh, days. I, I guarantee it. I guarantee <laughs> it. Like I said, we, you know, you and I, we both work with a lot of similar brands, you know, with Maven and prime. And, and, uh, so I, I have a feeling we'll, our, our hunting paths are going to cross and, and, and it'll be, it'll be an adventure. Yeah. Oh yeah. It'll be fun. That's for sure. <laughs> and, uh, that, that's, it's funny. Cause it, it seemed like when we were up there, you know, it was, it was a really you know tough hunt and I had some, I got to see some really amazing deer and everything else. But I, back home, I was getting texts from Pennsylvania and my dad killed a good one. Both my uncles were, it was just like, it was one after another. I'm like, Oh man, I'm missing out. You know, there's uh-huh. probably no one else in the world that would say that they would rather be in Pennsylvania, you know, hunting at that time. And I, and I, again, I wouldn't change it for the world. That was awesome. But I just, that's like my favorite week, you know, and it seems like the, the week that I always would uh, be successful in Pennsylvania. So it, like, you know, my heart was torn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it was such a weird deal. Cause I remember even when I got the phone call, um, they were like, Hey, we're, you know, you want to, you want to go to, you want to go hunt with Jim Hole? I'm like, hell yeah, I do. I'm like, when? And they were like, November 4th through November 10th. Yeah. I'm like, wait a second. My, it, I, I had no idea about the the college visit, but I said, "You want me to leave Iowa during the rut to go be in negative twenty five temps? Are you serious? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is there any other week that we can do this? And then of course I got home, and you know my wife's like, "Well, that's not going to work because we got a visit." And I'm like, "Oh, crap! Well." I'm like, then I was really torn. You know what I mean? Now there's, there's an evolution because I can tell you right now, my grandpa, um, he would have gone on the hunt. He wouldn't have even asked if there was anything going on that week. My <laughs> dad would have asked and still got on the hunt. Um, <laughs> and it's something I've really tried to work on, you know, as a parent, um, you know, going back to the, the business and entrepreneurship and, and grinding and, and, you know, I've always been the one to put work first, always put work first, you know, work and then pleasure second, you know, and, um, as I've gotten older, it, it's something that that's my own, my, so it's a weakness in mine. I'll admit it. And, and I'm trying to not put my work or my activities in front of family activities. Um, I'm getting better at it. I, I'm not going to say that I'm great. I'm way better than my grandpa was and I'm way better than my dad was. Um, you know, I grew up in that, you know, I remember one year I finished uh, second in like a regional track meet, you know, in the half mile. 
And I'm like smiling ear to ear. My mom's like, oh my God, congratulations. It's so awesome. And my dad's like, what are you smiling for? You didn't win. And I'm like, I'm a freshman. You know, this is a varsity meet, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that was kind of a, a snapshot of, you know, my dad and, and the way I, I grew up, and it, which is probably partly why I am the way I am now. But um, I got to look like a saint because I didn't go on that hunt and I still got to kill a buck. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah it all worked out. It's it's funny. I, I want to think about it all the time is I, uh, that's something that I'm trying to work on for when I do have a family. Cause I know I'm really bad with that. Even with, um, you know, sometimes I get such in tunnel vision of working and working towards goals and everything else that I forget about everything else, whether that's relationships with friends and family and, and stuff. And it's something I'm trying to work on and get better at, but it's definitely a fault of mine and I recognize it. Yeah. You know. Well, you know, there was that I even posted it on my personal Facebook page the other day. It was just kind of fun, uh, funny. Somebody had a thing. It was like the the real cost of ambition, you know, and it says, like, you won't have a lot of friends. Um, people will misunderstand you a lot. You know, people are going to think that um, you, you know, you got you kind of value yourself as more important than them or whatever. And um, and for a lot of these reasons, you know, you'll, you'll do a lot of things alone in life. And, um, it, you know, it's kind of always been one of those things, like I always remind people is, you know, when you're really goal oriented, you're not an asshole. You're really not. Um, you're just so focused on being the best you that you can and, and achieving your goals that you've set, you know, for yourself that sometimes it, it looks like, you know, that you don't care about what other people have going on. You know, I, I went two years at my old house. I had really crappy internet and I was going through Instagram and I was hitting the like button and scanning to the next and, you know, hitting a like button and scrolling. And because the internet was so slow, it was never registering the like button on people's post. And like one of my buddies is like, dude, you're a jerk, you know? And I'm like, wait, no, no wait a second. Like my Wi-Fi is so slow. It's not so literally <laughs> what I had to do was like the screen would have to pause on somebody's Instagram post. I would hit the like button and I had to physically wait uh, for my little avatar, you know, to yeah. pop up like I'm going to make a comment before I could scroll on. And we're talking like 15, 20 seconds. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, I can't sit here and do this all day. You know what I mean? Like. I want to show respect and I want to, I want to support my friends that are out there hustling and they're doing good work or they're doing good photos or they got a good story. Like I want to, and I, you know, and, and, that, and let's face it, like if you're building a brand and, and for awareness, like that's kind of, that's how you grow is, you know, the more likes you get or the more comments, the more engaged people are with your stuff and, and whatnot. So I wanted to, help out my fellow friends and, and people that I respected and looked up to. Uh, but yeah, I went like two years supposedly without liking anybody's stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, damn, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It's, it's funny how these, and like I saw, I, I saw your post with that stuff on it and I was just like, man, that's so true. And then, uh, someone else, uh, had a post yesterday. It was a picture of a guy, like climbing a mountain and there's people like pulling on a rope, trying to pull them down. And the one guy says, you, uh, 
you've changed and, and another one says something else like you know wh- why would you why are you doing this like things like that that are basically you know sometimes the way that that I feel with it you know it's like oh you used to do all this you used to come out and 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 hang out and blah 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 all this stuff and I'm like no it's not that I don't like you know you guys anymore it's just not what my priorities are anymore yeah well, and, and, you know, I had a buddy of mine, he called me out, uh, from back home. Now I will s- tell you that this gentleman has not reached out to me in like four years, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but he's like, Oh dude, you don't ever have time for any of your old friends anymore. And I'm like, look, they don't make any more time in the day. You know, they only make so much of it. And, um, it's not that I'm neglecting anybody, but if I have, if I have 10 friends that call me each day and each wants to talk for a half hour, that's five hours of a day that you're like, you're dead in the water. Now, I mean, sometimes you can do a little bit of internet work or I can type some stuff, but I'm the person that when I'm on the phone with somebody or I'm in an engaged in a conversation, like I want to give them a hundred percent of my undivided attention. I want to be a good listener. Um, you know, I want to hear their story. I want to be able to add to their to their story, add to the conversation, uh, proactively and, and stuff. So I'm like, I can't do that. You know what I mean? There's just not enough time of the day and, and try to, you know, hit my own goals for what I have for myself, whether it be through business or photos or, you know, whatever it is I've got going on and, and also be a better family person, which, you know, uh, that's a constant improvement. So, Um, yeah, if anybody ever like, and I, I do love hearing from people and I like, I like answering questions. If somebody's got a question about what I'm doing or what I got going on. And, uh, I always say like, it, it, it'd be awesome if there was like a blanket response you could give, like, I'm more than willing to help you. As soon as I get a free second, I will call you. If I don't answer right away or text you back right away, I'm not a jerk. I promise. Um, I admittedly will say that, uh, I don't like it genuinely bothers me if like I find out somebody doesn't like me or somebody thinks that I'm a jerk or something like it really does bother me. Um, but at the same time, if, if somebody's reaching out cause they're like, Hey man, this guy's hustling, he's got it going on. Just know that he didn't get there by sitting on his ass either. Yes. He got there because he was busting his ass and he was hustling. So he might not have all the free time in the world. You know, people that have all the free time in the world are either trust fund people, hey, good on them, um, or deadbeats. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, and that goes, there's there's all kinds of memes that talk about, you know, uh, a message for women. If you want a man that has all the time in the world for you, like, you know, go to the unemployment office and like go scoop one up there or something. But <laughs> that's a good one. You know, it's, you know, it is what it is, you know, um, it takes, it takes hard work and you got to work hard to play hard. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, you, you get up every day and, you know, you do your damnedest to, to be better than you were yesterday and get more, somehow get more hours out of the day than you did before. Um, a little plug, uh, back in 2016, I, I did a, I did my first short film and it was actually titled work more hours. Um, if anybody wants to try to find it, they can. Um, it's also, you can find it on, uh, Vimeo and, in uh, YouTube under the title work more hours, or, um, I wasn't always a hunter, 
but uh, it was a short, short story, short film I did about uh, me and my dad. And it was kind of that style of how I grew up and how he always just used to tell me, just, you just got to work more hours. You know what I mean? Like if whatever you want to do in life, there's not a get rich quick scheme. Um, there's not a shortcut to anything, anything that's going to last anyways, or be meaningful. The only way to do it, the best way to do it is just to simply work more hours. So yeah, who, who put that film out? Was it something that you released or was it a company? Yep. No, it was, uh, it was something I released. I mean, I, I worked with, uh, with the same editor that I've worked with, um, for three years now, uh, Wade James ad live collective. Um, Wade's the man, another, another, another PA boy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Wade, Wade is, uh, he's the wizard of, he's the wizard of Oz for me. And, um, you know, I, I do all my own photo stuff and editing stuff. And then, um, if it's a really short clip, you know, I'll do the edit on, but if it's an episode for Arrow Wild or it's one of my short films, uh, Wade does all my editing, uh, for me and, and him and I, we've worked together so long and, and we're such good friends that, um, you know, before I would send him footage and I, and with a storyline or the, the voiceover or the script or whatever and say, okay, this is how I want this laid out. I want this laid out, this laid out. Now I can literally send him an SD card without even telling him it's coming and, you know, we, like I said, we've worked together so long. He knows the message that I'm wanting to put out and, um, our styles, there's a lot of similarities in our styles. So I think it comes very naturally for him as well to edit my stuff. And, um, we just, we work together very, very well. And as long as he'll keep editing my stuff, uh, he'll, he'll be my editor forever. You know? Yeah. No, that's awesome. Wade's a really good dude. I, I he is. I've got talking about somebody who makes you want to be a better dad. Uh, that guy, I was like, you're a jerk, dude. You're like dad of the year, like every year back to back, you know? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> he's super, super good dude and, and good, good family guy. And, um, you know, him and his wife tab, they are so friggin' talented. It makes me sick, you know, like her on the photo side and, and him on the video side and the editing. It's just, it's unbelievable how talented they are. They really have a gift and, and it's awesome that they get to work together and do their thing. Um, you know, they're in, in, in John, Johnstown PA. So, um, super, super good people have a lot of respect for Wade, always have, always will. And, um, you know, I always tease him. I'm like, dude, you made me look like a star again. You know, like, thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, he goes, hey, look. And, and he gave me a good compliment the other night. I wasn't expecting it. Um, he's like, look, man, at the end of the day, like, you have to have a canvas and you have to have paint, you know. Um, so without those things, then the, you know, you the paintbrush is useless, right? So he's like, I can't make your stuff look good if I don't have good footage that comes in. And he's like, time and time again, you always give me good footage. So um, that made me feel good that I'm, you know, I'm not making his job any harder than it needs to be. You know, at least I'm trying to uh, give, him, give him good material to work with. But uh, that was... Again, that was that same time that I was looking at. I was kind of transitioning over to getting into more of the storytelling and and telling. You know, we've all seen enough deer kills. I wanted to tie in the hunting to real life, everyday life kind of stuff, and um, and the crossover. And I I took a, a lesson, you know, from my dad about work and work ethic. And I have applied that to all areas of my life, including hunting. And, um, it, it's done well for me. So I kind of wanted to tell that story and, 
And I also wanted to put out my short, my first short film. Um, I didn't approach any, any companies about co-branding with me or sponsorship or financial or anything like that. Um, I, I did the film, I sent it to Sitka and I said, if you guys like it, awesome. If you guys want to use it, awesome. If not, I'm going to use it. And, uh, Dennis Zuck was still at Sitka at the time. He's now at Yeti. And Dennis is like, Hey dude, this is, this is killer. We're, we're going to, we're posting it. And they posted it on April, April 1st of 2016. And, and for that year, it ended up being like the fourth most watched video that Sitka put out that year. Um, so that was, that was kind of cool for me. I'm like, man, my first short film, like, you know, it did well, you know, it, 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 you know, people, people liked it and it resonated with people and, and who doesn't like a feel good story about, you know, a dude and his dad. Right. So, um, you know, it played on the right heartstrings and stuff like that. But the back end story of that short film was my dad had recently retired, um, and sold, sold his plumbing business and he had a big retirement party and, and, uh, the, he, we had a DJ, we had a steel, a steel drum band, Everybody was wearing like linen pants and Hawaiian shirts because my dad, that's just, that's my dad. You know, he loves, he loves like the Hawaiian themes stuff. So um, the DJ comes up to me and he's like, are you Johnny's son? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, we, um, we, we think it'd be pretty cool if like you grabbed the mic and like made a toast, you know, like to your, to your dad, we understand you and your dad are pretty tight. So I'm like, yeah, give me the mic, you know, and I grabbed the mic and I'm like, oh crap, what am I going to say? So the voiceover of that short film was the actual speech that I gave 100% on the fly, no preparation, and just bam, spit it out. And so I look around the room and everybody's crying. And I'm like, wait, no, no, this isn't supposed to be sad. This is supposed to be cool, you know? Yeah. Uh, and my wife goes, hey, you've been, you've been thinking about doing your first short film and you didn't know what topic you wanted to cover she looks around the room and she's like, I, th- I think you just got your topic, you know, right here. So that's how that short film came, came to be, um, and put some video footage with it, you know, and yeah, it, it was awesome. And, uh, it was fun to do. And, um, I, I want to continue doing short films. So, you know, every year I want to try to do one short film a year, um, and kind of make that kind of my thing, you know, that I, that I, that I do. And, um, like I said, with photography, I mean, just a firm believer, I mean, a picture is worth a thousand words and, and I really believe that. Um, and I still, I mean, I film my hunts and I still film the episodes and stuff for Arrow Wild, but man, I tell you, if photography is just, um, I, I, I just really enjoy it. I enjoy seeing other people's photos and I like learning and collaborating with other people and it's, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's it's cool to cool to see you you know, kind of go into that now that you're doing you know full time with freelance stuff and and everything else that you're doing. I think that's that's pretty awesome. And and I, now that you said that about that short film through Sika is definitely where I seen it the the first time because I I don't uh-huh. think I I don't think I had met you till probably 2017 or so. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah, it's uh it's, you know, like I said, that was, that was a lot of fun. And, and, um, you know, that was another one of those things. I mean, the Sitka ambassador team and, and that short film, um, were probably the two biggest things that kind of 
you know, I guess, you know, kind of put my name out there as like a solo person and not as white knuckle. Um, you know, during the white knuckle days, I mean, I was clean shaven, high and tight and, um, had no idea what I was doing. I still don't know. I just kind of fumbled my way through it. But, um, you know, when a lot of that stuff started, that's when I wasn't a cop anymore. And I let my hair grow out and I grew a beard and I'm like, sweet, I can actually grow a beard. Like, this is cool. You know? Uh, and that you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So good luck ever me, uh, shaving it off, ever off ever again, you know, uh, or wearing another uniform as long as I live. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's funny cause we, you know, we recently, we just moved and we were packing stuff up and my wife's like, Hey, there's a couple of ties in here. What do you want me to do? I'm like, send them to Goodwill. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm not ever wearing a tie again. Never. <laughs> I got no need for like a suit and a tie. Like I'll never wear another uniform. That's great. You know, the closest thing to a uniform is like camo, you know? Yeah. That, that's kind of like, you know, a uniform. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like a uniform, you know, wear it every once in a while. That's funny. Well, yep. John, is there anything else that you kind of want to leave the listeners with here? It, it's funny how, you know, ahead of time here when, you know, I talked, I was like, man, I said, I don't really have any sort of like certain topics besides I wanted to hit a few different things and I said you and I can just we could talk for hours so I know it'll be a good conversation I'm really pumped to see how this this conversation kind of went so thank you for that yeah oh dude no thank you man um I love it no it's it's also kind of one of those deals too where uh same thing like I knew whenever we got on the phone I'm like ah we don't need a we don't need a uh an outline to go by yeah (laughs) no that's We'll, we'll rock this thing out Um, as far as like any other information, like, I mean, if anybody's, you know, interested in following along with anything that I've got going on, um, Instagram, uh, it's johnny.utah.hunt and, uh, Johnny Utah was actually a nickname given to me, uh, originally actually from, from my old business partner, Todd Prignitz. Um, and it's a, it's a point break reference, uh, to the movie point break with, um, Keanu Reeves being an undercover FBI guy. His name was Johnny Utah. So that's kind of where that came from. Um, <laughs> and I, um, arrow wild TV, uh, is, is my web show. Uh, we do the carbon TV YouTube thing and, you know, Facebook, Instagram, do a lot of prizes, a lot of giveaways and stuff, you know, on Instagram and, and whatnot. But, um, you can follow along with the episodes. We do about 10 episodes a year and we basically start every year with the final hunts of the deer season. And then we go into shed season, turkey season, food plots, tree stands, uh, more food plots, mineral trail cams, and then into the bow season. Um, this year's a little uh, different cause we've normally just done whitetails and turkeys. Um, uh, but this year there's going to be some bear footage Ooh. and, in Canada bears and, uh, stuff like that. So, uh, we got that coming up. Uh, there might even be a little bit of fly fishing. Um, I've got a, I've got a little fly fishing trip coming up with prime and, uh, Matt Zinger and Soholt here in a couple weeks. So that's going to be cool. Um, and then also Johnny Utah creative. So Johnny Utah creative is, is my company. Uh, that, that is my photography, videography, um, marketing, social media management, and consulting company that I own. Johnny Utah Creative technically owns Arrow Wild TV, my show as well. Um, but that's uh, that's the parent company. And I just started an Instagram page for Johnny Utah Creative. And it's 
I don't post a lot on there, just a few highlight photos of some photo gigs or some drone work or something that the company itself is working on. Uh, but I kind of keep that more towards just, um, just towards the, the product design clients and some of the photo clients and stuff that, that, that Johnny Utah works on directly. But Johnny Utah, um, yeah, johnny.utah.hunt is more of my daily personal slash hunting page that I kind of keep up with more and uh, definitely more active on that. But yeah, I mean, any new subscribers to Arrow Wild TV uh, is much appreciated. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into it and people subscribing um, is kind of what makes it all worthwhile and hopefully people enjoy it. Uh, there's something that's entertaining and you can learn some tips and tricks and tactics and stuff like that from it as well. Awesome, man. That's that's cool. I I am uh, subscribed to that, and I think everyone else should check it out as well. Greatly, greatly appreciate it, man. And kudos to you, man. Like you've done a good job with the podcast. You've had a lot of really good guests on there. Um, I'm probably the the shittiest, boringest guest you've probably had. Uh, <laughs> so I tried to do my best. No, uh, you know I'm like I bought a kilo once. I drove a race car. It makes me cool, um, but. <laughs> So no, but man, you've done a you've done a really good job, and, and I've mentioned this to you before, and and it was an, on an unrecorded conversation, but just to mention it again, uh, I remember the first time that Bo uh, and I talked. It was at, actually at the Harrisburg show, and you know I was still with Wicked at the time, and and I remember you like we were cruising through the aisles, and you're like, hey, what's up, John? And I'm like, hey, what's up, dude? You know, and um, it, you know, it, it's always one of those things like. If somebody takes the time to go out of their way to say hello, they address you by your name, um, I, there is value in that, and and that's huge. And I remember making a comment to somebody, and I said, "Hey, I said that 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 guy seems like he's, he seems like he's a good dude." Um, now, fast forward, you know, three, four, five years later, and you know we're recording a podcast, and and you know yeah. you and I we chat on Instagram and stuff like that and stuff whenever we can. So. Um, it's, it's neat to see relationships come full circle and, um, you know, I've never come to you and screwed you over. You've never screwed me over and, and we congratulate and share our hunting stories together and life is good, you know? So it's neat to see, uh, to see cool things happen like that. You know, here we are, I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, like that's 15 hours away from my house. And, um, uh, and, you know, you meet somebody then and, and, and you're still friends with them now. So it's, that's cool. Yeah. And I, I, tr- I mean, I really appreciate that for one. And two, I, I just think that it's so important to, you know, have those relationships and, and just always help everyone else, you know, whether you're in the same space or you're not, you know, if you can help out in any way, that doesn't mean that like, you're going to come to me and be like, Oh, Hey, can you do this, this, that, and that for me? That's not what I mean. It's just, you know, supporting each other in any way it's possible, you know, because when you help others out, you know, you're helping them grow and you'll grow right with them. And that's just, you know, I, I truly believe in relationships and all of that more than anything. Oh yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, like I said, it goes along to the hustle. If somebody, if somebody is doing a hobby that I could care less about, that doesn't get my, get my juices flowing, but they're passionate about it and they're busting their ass at it. I can respect it. 
You know what I mean? Because of their passion and, and, and what they're putting into it. Um, one day I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast and I had my earbuds in and I'm rocking, you know, plugging away, doing some stuff on Facebook. And my wife says, you know, who are you listening to? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, it's, you know, Joe Rogan. She's like, who's the guest? And I said, I, I can't remember his name. She's like, and you're listening to it? I'm like, yeah, this dude is like, he like, he's like a bee harvester, like honeys. And I'm like, it's so cool. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I don't have an interest in starting a beehive, but this dude is so damn passionate about his bees and his honey. Like I'm drawn to it, you know, I'm sucked into it. So I can appreciate, you know, somebody else's thing. And it kind of like, well, like you were saying, even if somebody, another photographer, another videographer, somebody might even be competing with me for the same, you know, doing work for the same company, which is even more reason to support that person. But, you know, who cares what the situation is? Like if somebody's, you know, busting their ass and, and putting out good content, I might not even like the photo that they took, but I'm still going to throw them a like because I know that they're a good person and they're busting their ass and they worked hard at it, you know? So, um, it's that kind of encouragement. No, it's not a participation trophy. It's mutual respect and encouragement for their craft and what they're trying to create. And I can respect that. No, that's, I couldn't have said it any better. It's like, so it's, it's funny and I'm not going to go down another rabbit hole with it, but uh, a mutual friend of ours, Clint Campbell, he has a podcast, Truth in the Stand, and him and I were both at the BHA Muster in the Mountains, and we're like, dude, how about we just do like a co-branded podcast so we're both not interviewing the same people and, you know, asking the same questions. Let's just work together on it. And it's yeah, awesome, yeah. you know, like him and I get yep. get along so good. And, and if you think about it, you know, we're both in the same space, you know, looking, you know, doing similar stuff but that's not the way him and i look at it you know we look at it as helping each other out and i really respect the hell out of what he does and he's super good at what he does and i want to help him as he's you know helped me out too for sure well you know it's funny about clint is you know i was doing the arrow wild podcast a couple years ago and i'm it just man without having good internet and and I was so busy. It was just so hard. I had too many irons in the fire. I just had to give it up. And I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Um, but Clint came to me and he goes, dude, like, why are you killing yourself trying to do your podcast? Just come on board and co-host mine. I'm, you know, like, oh, okay. So, you know, I've been co-hosting, you know, that podcast with him now for the past year and a half or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and I, and I don't do every podcast with him. I mean, I do like every other one or maybe every third or something like that, but you know, it's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy being a guest on them. I enjoy interviewing people. Um, I love getting to ask questions that I've been wanting to ask that maybe you feel like a weirdo if you just walked up to them randomly, like, Hey dude, so <laughs> what's your best tactic for this or whatever? Yeah. But in a podcast, I'm like, I can ask whatever question I want. Cause that's my job. Yep. You know? <laughs> uh, so no, the, it, it's fun. Yeah. He's a, he's a good dude. And, um, like I said, man, you guys, you got a good thing going and, and keep up, keep up the hustle, keep up the good work. I love, I love, and, and not to turn this into a love fest, but like I dig the whole East meets West, you know, because I was, I'm in the same boat. I mean, you know, I'm a Midwest guy that, has ventured out West and, and, and likewise, um, Wade has invited me to come chase some PA bucks with him. 
And he knows, he's like, look, the bucks are smaller. I'm like, I don't care. It's not about the size of the deer. I want to go, I just want to go chase, I, I want to go chase a PA buck. You know, I want to yeah. try, I want to try what you do, you know? Yeah, no, that's, you're exactly right, man. It's, it's, uh, it's the whole concept behind it, you know, is, you know, started with, you know, East going West, but it's way more than that. It's, you know, finding whatever type of adventure you want, no matter where that's at. And, and that's, that's, I think anybody can kind of relate to that, that has that, you know, adventurous mindset. Yep. I like it. I dig it. Keep it up. Cool, dude. Well, again, thank you for coming on brother. And we will definitely be talking again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. See you, bud. Yep. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.